Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Mike, yesterday on the show, I was chatting with Dr. Gene Clinton. Dr. Gene Clinton is a world expert in the development of the youth brain. And it was a very serious topic because it was regarding a murder trial that had happened in the city of Hamilton. Not a trial, a guilty plea and then a sentencing. And it involved, at the time, a 16-year-old who stabbed a guy in the heart as he was walking along the street and killed him. And my point in this one was, I understand that we have a Youthful Offenders Act, and I get why we have a Youthful Offenders Act. Mm -hmm. I understand the concept, which is, let's say Mike Fortune was a 12-year-old kid and you did something stupid. You stole a car. Did a lot of stupid things. You threw a brick through a window. You Mm -hmm. vandalized someone's whatever. Mm -hmm. You don't want your life and all your future hopes and aspirations to be destroyed because of a youthful indiscretion. Stupid and criminal as they may have been. Does that include drinking a lot of beer? Sure. Anything. Well, but she talked about, she was Youth, on here. I'm sorry. And she, well, but she talked about the fact that, you know, young kids, they don't have great impulse control. So yeah, stupid things that you may have done, but there is, do you tell me I'm wrong? Unless you have a, and she, she agrees with this, unless you have a significant identifiable intellectual disability or a, a, a something like you're a, 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 a clearly defined sociopath or something, Mm -hmm. the typical 16-year-old understands that stabbing someone in the heart and killing them is wrong. I would have to agree with the good doctor, yes. So why in the world does someone get three years in prison for that? To me, this, and I understand that we want to do rehab and we want to rehabilitate and everyone else. I'm sorry, maybe I'm just old school, but if you kill someone... You should be going away for a while. And I don't mean a brief while. You should be going away for a long while. I don't disagree with that. If it's intentional. Yeah, I don't disagree with that one iota. But again, and I don't know when these laws were put in place. This is the law. This is how it is. And this is how it always has been. Perhaps the laws should maybe catch up with the sign of the time and the way the world has moved. But Mike, that's the problem. That's the problem. The sign of the times is we want less punitive and more rehab. So we don't really need you to go to jail. We need you to go to some sort of, we, we heard the story for the last two weeks about the Aboriginal healing lodge. We don't need you in prison. What good is that doing you? And I'm arguing, and I believe this wholeheartedly, that yes, we should create a situation where by the time you get out of prison, you are ready to return to some sort of functioning society. But for the families, for those who have suffered they should get to have some relief too, to know that for the next number of years, you are away. That's that, that to me is common sense. If you're heaven forbid, if a family, I was going to say your wife, but that's too horrible for anyone to think about. If you had a family member of any kind who was killed, Mm -hmm. intentionally killed, not by an accident, but intentionally murdered by someone, you are in my mind owed the relief of knowing that person is not going to be out on the streets around your family doing something for some long period of time. You are owed that. Is is that still enough for some people though? Well, that, no, it'll never be enough because some people will only accept the ca- death, the death penalty, but that we don't so have that. How, how do you explain these, these big hearted people, the, these kind souls who are few and far between who, who forgive? Who, for, who forgive uh, someone that has killed their son or daughter, and you've seen them in court, you've seen them outside of a courthouse talking to them and saying, 
I forgive you. I feel sorry for you. I forgive. I want you to move on with your life. Remember the case in the States probably 10 or 15 years ago of the mass shooter who shot up the Amish schoolhouse and the Amish people all showed up and forgave. That is to me the absolute highest form of humanity. That if you can do that. That said though, Mike, and I agree that that is, that would be, if you could do it, that would be the ultimate but you still, even though you have forgiven, doesn't mean that you should not be able to have the peace of knowing that person is not then going to be out on the street mm-hmm. shortly after, right? Your forgiveness allows them to have peace of mind and maybe get on with their life, but it doesn't mean that they get to walk away from the responsibilities as a citizen. There's a difference. There's a, there's a big difference, but again, the law states this is how it is. And, and whether you agree with it or not, I guess you can, can fight it, you can appeal it, you get a good lawyer, try to change verdicts and all that stuff. But the law right now says, no, this is, this is the sentence. This is it. Is and that, I don't know how you change that. Well, it, it, clearly we're not going to change it because we're moving further or moving. When you talk about society changing, we're moving further away from that into the more seemingly more and more lenient, more and more touchy feely thing, as opposed to saying, you know, look, you did something horrendous. And you know, this thing that we've had all week or the last two weeks with Terry Lynn McClintock, this woman who killed Tory or helped kill Tory Stafford, yeah. and she's going to the Aboriginal healing lodge. If she was in prison for robbing a bank. All right. I would be, I really believe that I would say if this healing lodge is going to help her rehabilitate and be able to move back into society, I'm okay with that. I would, I would be able to bring, or if she had driven drunk for the third time, but we believe this is going to prevent her from doing it again, but an intentional, intentional taking of someone else's life, we I don't think that society, the human can forgive perhaps if they're able, but I don't think society should just be that carefree with it. But as society, we move on so quickly because the news cycles change and we get on with our own life. This, this is something that is hot topic right now, but within 12 hours, it's going to change and something else is going to take the headlines. And then we continue to move on and we forget. Unless you get a real movement, unless you can really garnish a lot of attention and a lot of outrage and a lot of screaming and tweeting and Facebooking, the cycle changes and, and, and you're, you're pushed way, way down again. So I'm how sorry. do you change that? So maybe I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I was just laughing at I think you meant garner a lot of attention. Garnishing would be putting Gar- on like parsley and some sort of sauce. <laughs> Sorry, I'm 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 in uh, I, I'm in turkey mode right now, thinking of my stuffing it is and, and all that weekend. stuff. Yeah. Yes, but let me go back to the point though <laughs> where we start. Sorry about hey, that. Bring I, it, bring it was a, little. a hilarious word. Um, <laughs> the big issue for me here, beyond even that, is that we have somehow determined that as a 16-year-old, you deserve some sort of special treatment for the, the kind of crime that you, have, that you do know is wrong. You do, if you're 16, Mike, there are a lot of things you may have done, and I did, I know, stupid when I was 16, 17, 18. Last week. <laughs> but True. <laughs> but when you are 16, there is no 16-year-old no. who is not psychologically or developmentally severely delayed who doesn't understand what they were doing and the 
cause and effect of sticking a knife into somebody's heart. And that, to me, our our laws are wrong. That the Youthful Offenders Act should be in place for almost everything, but not for this. Not for this kind of thing. Twelve, maybe. Nine, yes. And And I understand and I can appreciate that we're talking about this, Scott, but if it's not going to get changed... Then, then, but if it's, I, a, but you know what, you're right. It's, it's going to be very difficult because politicians and psychiatrists and psychologists and sociologists say, no, you can't change You can't this. do that. But I think that what you and I are talking about would be the commonly held view of most people in society, that a 16 year old is capable of understanding this. If you, and if society as a, as a majority believes this, then they, things like this should be up for discussion. I agree. They should be up for discussion. You're 16. You are able to go for your car license and drive a 2,500 or 25 ton uh, vehicle, whatever the case might be, which can be a weapon in itself sometimes if it's not handled effectively. And I agree with what you're saying. But again, I, I don't know. We can talk about this, but we know it's not going to change. And maybe that's the frustrating part behind all of this. Um, there's no words we can say. There's no movement I don't think you, we can put together where the laws will change to say, you know what, we're going to drop it from whatever age it is now to, you know what, it's, it's got to be 16. You're considered an adult. What, can, what, what considers you an adult nowadays? Well, we have an arbitrary date of turning 18. And okay. so if you kill someone- So this goes back to 18 you can, or 19, you can drink alcohol. Yes. 18, you can vote. Yep. 16, 16, you can can drive a car. But if you're 17 years old and on the day before you turn 18, you kill someone. Is that not up to the judge's discretion? Well, it can be. I think that can be up to the judge's discretion. But under the law, all right, under the law, by definition, the judge can can go different with that or the crown attorney can try and try try you as an adult. But by, by definition, by the law, if you're the day before you turn 18, you can be tried as a youth. That, so maybe. What's the difference? I mean, don't tell me that sleeping it's, it's overnight. It's 24 hours. That that's, ma- that's the difference. Don't it, tell me the maturity fairy shows up and <laughs> you leave a, it leaves a quarter under your pillow. Y- you just, <laughs> you just answer your question. The difference is literally 24 hours. So, and going to what you said earlier, everything is left up to the judge's discretion. So perhaps the lawyers, uh, the attorneys, they need to do a better job to make their case to prove that this person should be charged as a, as a young adult, as opposed to a young offender. Because we have seen the judge make those uh, those calls. At times. At times. I would like to see more judges, quite frankly. I would like to see more judges So maybe you got to get to the judges then. Maybe this isn't about changing the law. This is about changing the minds of the judges. Maybe. Maybe. I, I, again, I, I really, I have a very hard time with this kind of case because I, I just can't bring myself to believe that this person or others in a similar circumstance can possibly make the case that I, well, how was I supposed to know? I'm, I'm just a young one. I'm just a young tot who doesn't, un- no, that's not the case. That's not true. And as I said to, when Dr. Jean Clinton was on here last night and when you raised the car thing, I raised the car thing with her as well. And I said, we trust we give the belief that you are mature enough as a 16 year old that, you know, you can't run someone over. You can't play Frogger with somebody in your car. Mm -hmm. And we say you at 16 are mature enough to hold that power in your hand. But yet when you then hold a knife in your hand or a gun in your hand, we say, well, you're just a, you're just a boy. 
it, and at, what was her response to that? Well, no, I, I'm she sorry did, I didn't get to listen to no, your no, show No, no, she, she was she agreed and her point was yes, we've got these sort of arbitrary dates that don't always make a lot of sense as to why we have put certain things in. Maybe the answer to this whole thing and I had not intended to come to suggest this, but maybe the answer is we have everything at 16. All right? Now at 16, you are considered old enough. If you're old enough to drive, you're old enough to vote, you're old enough to, I mean, people freak out if we say you're old enough to drink. Um, but I think you also have to look at, um, you know, I look at my 14 year old, he, he is mature well beyond his years. And I think a lot of that has to do with how we treat him, but also, you know, there's the internet out there. These kids teach themselves a lot of things nowadays on their own. That's one other thing we had on this week, which was interesting. If you missed this one, go back and go to the go to 900CHML, go to the show's page, go to Scott Radley's show. A new study out of Dartmouth College, and they say it's another great university, we're talking mm-hmm. about universities, has found what they say is a clear, clear connection between kids playing violent video games and aggressive behavior. And we've been looking for this research to see whether this is true forever. And they're saying there is a clear line from A to B. Doesn't necessarily mean that if you play Grand Theft Auto, you're going to get a machine gun and shoot up your school. And it doesn't necessarily, and there are questions about whether playing the video games causes you to become aggressive or if kids who tend to be more aggressive choose to play these video games. It could go both ways, but they're saying there is a connection somehow between these and yet you're allowed to do it at 10, 9. Parents can let you play it at 5 if they want. Well, you're not supposed to, but you can. That's where parenting has to come in and, and not using those gaming systems as a babysitter. Uh, there's there's so Was much that. Was that a bad thing I did then? <laughs> <laughs> I'm I, kidding. I think I'm to blame from time to time too. You're having those weekends. Oh, they're quiet. I'm happy. But if uh, if my kids are going to run into any problem, especially my daughter, it's going to be that she's going to somehow start humming the theme to the big comfy couch, which is the uh, <laughs> what the babysitter was when I was at the, a point when I couldn't look after. I was too tired. I, I you know going going back to the point that we were originally talking about, just hearing how our conversation is going. It 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 sounds like you wish the judges would look at this a little bit more and realize that youth are changing youth today aren't the same as the the youth in the in the 50s and 60s for example they are not any more mature but they are more streetwise they are more aware they're more there's they, they are more advanced even if they're not more mature much more advanced and maybe that should be taken into consideration and and looking at things as we move forward Speaking of moving forward, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to give you the quiz question again. We're going to talk about late night TV shows. They are changing. And I'm wondering why, what is happening? One of the stalwarts of late night TV, his show is being cut in half. Hmm. Have we simply lost our attention span or has wall to wall political commentary just worn people out and made people lose their minds and not want to watch it? I'm sorry, I wasn't wasn't paying attention, Scott. What? (laughs) Back after this, stay with us. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Last night was the final one hour long episode of the Conan O'Brien show. Now, some people don't even know Conan O'Brien is still on the air because he's been on like Mm -hmm. Peachtree or some, like one of those cable channels, but he is, he has been on there. 25 years he's been on the air, which seems stunning because he was the guy who followed David Letterman at 1230 once upon a time and then took over for Leno and anyway. But he's gone back. He's not 
doing an hour anymore. Every night it's just a half hour show. And I'm trying to decide if the reason that someone who's been on for that long and has had that much success, if the show is being cut back, there could be all kinds of reasons. But two that came to mind is A, are our attention spans just that short now that we just want a quick boom, boom, do the, do the monologue, do a funny bit, maybe interview one person and out. Or are we in a time when the late night shows have actually destroyed themselves by just doing politics nonstop at a time when people want a bit of a break from it and people have just said, I, Enough's enough, enough, enough. I, I'll find something else to, I don't need to have politics from the moment <laughs> I wake up until the moment I go Ram to sleep. Down my throat. I, I, I think it's probably a mixture of both Scott. Uh, I, I do believe our minds, our minds have, have wandered a little bit and, you know, I like watching a Netflix, uh, episode in, or an HBO or something on demand in 23 minutes, no commercials, and let's move on to the next one. In regards to, I like your, your thought on on the politics. What happened to the days of, and again, I've never been a late, late night TV watcher, so please correct me because I'm used to that. But, you know, when you had the Johnny Carsons, it was all light humor. It well, w- he told it was political jokes. Stuff. Yeah, but, but they were not biting they, political They're not jokes. biting. And, and you would see a lot more of the comics and the music and, and giving, giving young people uh, chances. I don't know if that still goes on on a lot of these shows, but when it is constant and when you look at the the levity of these topics that are being made fun of constantly it gets exhausting well that's the thing and and when johnny i mean as i say johnny carson and i you know i wasn't alive for all of his heyday but i mean his he did political stuff but it was it was generally political in a fun not biting, not mean spirit, just kind of a joke. And, and even the Bill Clinton stuff that he would do or whatever was, was more lighthearted. Uh, Conan O'Brien, when he started, it was not political. Most of it. David Letterman would have the odd political, but he got more and more political as his show went on and closer to his retirement. But when he first started with the stupid Petrix and stupid human, I mean, it was much less political. And I'm with you. I really think that there's a lot of these shows and people have reached the point where they have said, a lot of people anyway, I'm tuning into you for a brain break before I go to bed and this is not doing it. Because a, a lot of these um, hosts, and rightfully so, they've they've put in their, their time, blood, sweat, tears, they now all have platforms and they they know that their voices are heard. So they've gone away from being the funny comic, which got them there to, I now have a, a soapbox to stand on. People are going to listen to what I have to say. There's also a lot of competition out there with the Netflix, the HBOs, all the different cable channels, when you can watch TV on demand. Who has an hour to spend nowadays watching well, a television show? I, let me go back to your other point. I mean, Jimmy Kimmel was a guy who was, he was silly. I mean, he used to be on oh, a thing called The Man Show before he did this hysterical. thing. And somehow, somewhere along the way, somebody started describing him as the conscience of late night. Mm -hmm. I don't know where that came from, but it's like he decided now I've got to be. Hey, he took it and ran with it. But yeah, but now I've got to be like all uh, issues. 
as opposed to just being funny. I, look, when I'm, it's 11 o'clock at night or 1030 or 1130. I, if I am going to tune in and watch one of your shows, I want something that is just entertaining. I, I don't need, I say from all day long, because now we have social media and we have this and we have that. I am hearing it all day. I want to lie down in bed or lie on the couch and basically have someone give my brain an enema. Just clean it all out and let me go to sleep with, with a clean slate and and not arguing the same arguments that I've been hearing. But that's tough to find nowadays. It's impossible. Which is why you're going to Netflix and stuff. Let me find something that is going to be light fair. You know, yeah, our our kind of go-to is the Big Bang Theory. You know, it, it's you always get a good chuckle out of those uh, four or five nerdy old guys. So, again, going back to Conan, I think he's actually... A kind of a genius by doing this and you might start to see a trend and his ratings I'm not sure where he's standing but if you can get get in get your jokes in and get out he might be on to something here and, we'll and I think the advertisers will enjoy that at the same time and maybe Conan might be going in a dir- different direction himself we weren't in the room so we don't know it no. all but uh, you don't. know good on Conan no Good, no, we don't. We, we know nothing. Good on Conan for, for taking this step and maybe setting a new trend for late night television. Like you can't, I find it even difficult to tune into Saturday Night Live now and enjoy it. It's just, it's more of the same drumbeat. It, that's the thing. That's all it's it is. It's just a never ending pile on drumbeat. Anyway. Like we, where, where, where of the days of the, of, of the church lady and, and all that, that really clever funny but it stuff. wasn't always political they had some no. political stuff there was a skit or a sketch but then it was and and, and weeknight weekend update but that was that was it that was it the rest of it now it's every time they, they've they've uh, the politicians make it easy for them but again True. it also shows the maybe potentially the lack of creativity in these writers now let's just go to politics let's try to make this funny instead of being creative and coming up with brand new stuff we are going to take one last break, well, not one last, one more break here on the show. When we come back, uh, enough talking about Conan O'Brien talking politics and politics on TV. We're going to come back and talk about Mike Fortune hosting oh. all the political debates. We're, we're going to talk politics. Yay! If you ever want to tune out. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, Scott. Mike Stay tuned. just hosted 15 ward debates and one mayoral debate for the Hamilton election. Mike knows more about the people oh. running for office in this city than their parents do. <laughs> we'll, we'll hear You're about setting some of the, the expectations the way good, too the high. The good, the bad, and the ludicrous when we come back. Stay with us. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Mike Fortune, sitting across from me here for the brightest conversation in Hamilton Radio. Mike just, well not just, but in the last couple of weeks, last week or so, finished hosting, moderating 15 ward debates and one mayoral debate. And best I can tell has not slipped into raging alcoholism yet. <laughs> that would have been enough to push some people over the edge. Yeah, it was, uh, it was actually a little bit longer, a uh, while ago, Scott, we, we, uh, we taped a lot of them over, uh, five days. And then the mayoral debate was live on uh, Tuesday, September the 11th. And a lot of them are re-airing on cable 14 right now. Again, your community station giving you the the local access that uh, you deserve if you are a cable subscriber to Kojiko and Rogers, and it was a very, it was very interesting to to be able to be in the position I was to watch candidates when they come into the studio, 
how they're reacting uh, when the camera isn't on them, uh, how they reacted when they were done. Uh, you get a real sense of what people are like. You get a real sense of what they may be like as a politician. And uh, it was really interesting. I found from my perch, and again, I, I, you don't expect everyone to watch all of them. You're interested in your ward debate, and you're interested probably in the mayoral one. But to be part of all of them, a few things that I noticed. I was gobsmacked. I was shocked. And my producers and I talked about this after every debate at how unprepared some of these candidates were going up against an incumbent. I was shocked. If you're going to go up against an incumbent, if you're going to put in the time, the effort, whatever money you want to put in, seems to me you do that with not just a, a wing and a prayer. You come up with something. I you, was once told that if you ever run, you, you run to win. You don't run to come in second. You don't run because you have a personal vendetta against the incumbent and you just want to put your hundred bucks down and, and yell and scream at them on, on television or at, at local well, that debates. that can be therapeutic. It, it can be therapeutic, but that isn't why you should run for politics. You should run because you, you, you want to win. You want to do something good. And I truly do believe they probably all have good intentions. But their responses, uh, when, when asked questions, and again, it, it's not a perfect science when you host these debates. You know, you have a, you have a minute to answer a question that I pose to you that's coming from the public. Uh, the LRT is coming. How do you propose uh, that we change it? I'm just using that as an example. Mm -hmm. You have 60 seconds. You know, but however, if you are going to be running for council, if you are successfully elected, you should be able to know how to respond in a well-thought-out manner without umming, without awing, and answer the question. Don't spew out facts that we all already know, and then when I say you have 10 seconds left, just kind of fizzle off. I, I must say, I came across, I don't know which, which ward it was the other day. I was flipping around, and as we said right off the top of the show, hit cable 14 and stopped for a few minutes. I saw you on there. And I must say, I, I burst out laughing, not at your performance. You were good, but you were trying, I can't remember. I have no idea what the topic was because I missed your initial question. Okay. And the person who answered it started talking about something and you, and I'm guessing you, you did come across a little bit like the Alex Trebek on Saturday Night Live or on <laughs> Half Wits, <laughs> because at this point you looked like you had had it. And the person answered something that had nothing to do with the question and you cut him off about 15 seconds in and said, that's not what we're talking about here. And you moved on to the next person and the person answered the question that you had posed. Okay, so on to you, Bob Smith. And he goes, well, that's not really the topic I wanted to talk about. <laughs> And you yeah. said, fine, we'll move on to that. And this person like shrugged his shoulders and looked like, huh? Look, Why do I not get, it was, it was so funny yeah. watching that there were so many people and you know, Mike, here's the thing. And you've been through this. You've done all these. There is a reason beyond name recognition, though that is, I think by far the biggest one. There is a reason incumbents get reelected. And that is because so many of the people who run against them, as you said a few moments ago, 
come in woefully unprepared. It's not that they're not bright people. It's not that they're not in, uh, wanting to help their community. It's not that they're not, their intentions are not right. But if you're going to take someone on, look, look, give the impression, look like you're taking this seriously. They, they, the incumbents know the ins, they know the outs. A, a good politician, and, and there was a lot of them, they, they know how to speak. If I didn't interrupt or cut them off, they would have just kept going. And there's a few that come to mind. I'm not going to mention their names. Tune into Cable 14 and watch yourself. Again, going back to what you alluded to before, the, the, all candidates were given plenty of time with the, the, the election package sent out to them. They knew exactly the order. They knew exactly what was going to be done. And I even said it on air. You have one minute to ask your question and you have one minute to answer that question. And then we open it to open forum to that specific topic. As moderator, and sometimes I had my producers in my ear saying they're getting off topic. You got to cut them off. You have to. You have to gain control because what's everything going to go back to? LRT. And if you didn't feel comfortable asking that question, then I'm going to keep moving on because you have to. You lay down the law with these with these people as well when you get in. Otherwise, it can turn into. Uh, a, a bit of a something that might be a bit of a circus and you don't want to do that you have to take this seriously whether you're the moderator whether uh, you're a candidate coming in the the politicians the ones that came in the incumbents they're slick and they're good that that's that's one thing that i just got from all this another thing that i noticed was the the people going up against an incumbent they should have colluded. They should have got together behind the scenes and said, okay, you know what, when it comes to the Q&A, I figured this out very early on, let's not ask the incumbent any questions. Because if you're asking the, you're giving all the incumbent all the airtime, they can rhyme off all the great things that they've done, all the great things that they're going to do. You're just giving them, you're giving them free advertising. What they should have done Because was, they are the target though. But right. But why give them all this time? Talk amongst yourselves. Uh, candidate A going against candidate B. Candidate, we're no names, but let's keep it amongst the three of us. Push them off to the side. That's how, looking at it from my perspective, I'm thinking, man, that's what you should have done. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it is high entertainment at times because there are some very uh, intelligent people, there's no question, and some very well-meaning people and some very uh, engaged people, and that's terrific. But there's also some, I mean, look, I, and no names, I'm not going to say anything. No, no, no. But there are also some people that you know are looking and going, wait a second, the salary is 90000 or whatever it is a year? 95. Sign me up. I, I mean, I, pff, I never thought of this before, but sign me up. I'm good for ninety five grand. i will go to a few meetings. I have a much more appreciation now for counselors. You know, there's, there was a lot of idle time leading up to, or even afterwards, you'd have times to chit-chat and you pick up a lot of stuff. These counselors, they are in meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting. That, that's not a, that's not oh, a free $95,000. No, I wouldn't want the you, job. You're working hard for that 24-7. And some of the incumbents alluded to that, and they gave specific examples. And when you start to listen to that and you start to hear that coming from them because they're fighting for their job, you you understand now the pressures and the stresses that they're under. We can sit on this show and... And people on the opinionators can talk. It's a stressful job. It is. And so for them to keep getting it, they have to garnish attention. They do. And and they do it very well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there we go. Yes. 
Gar- <laughs> it is Thanksgiving. We're going to keep coming back to the garnishing. I yeah, I love it. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.